0: Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of In the Kitchen with Mary Mack. Yes, you heard that right. So in January, we celebrated our eighth year in podcasting. And now we are at our 200th episode. Why do they not line up? I have no idea.
1: Well, because <laughs> there's 52 weeks in a year. I know.
0: <laughs> well, because I can't do math. And that's yes, 52 weeks in a year. So that we, we do this podcast every other week, so it worked out. Like, most people that have podcasts would have, like, 400 podcasts by now because they do this every week, but we could not do this every week. Here we are at our 200th episode, so it's really exciting because that represents 200 recipes, basically. This year, our theme is classic recipes. We've never had a theme before. So this is kind of interesting for us. After all these years, we decided to have a theme. Today's special recipe for the 200th podcast. We have a recipe that is over 200 years old. And this is definitely a classic. It is bolognese sauce. Bolognese sauce is basically a meat sauce for pasta. It's so old that originally when it was developed, it did not have tomato in it because they weren't
1: using tomatoes in Italy yet. Was that at the time when people still thought tomatoes were poisonous? It was in that range because it was the late 1700s. I'm 99% sure they're technically part of the nightshade family. Yes. And that's why everyone was like, I don't want to use these until You know, you can look it up. It's a cool story. Yeah, look it up yourself
0: on that there Wikipedia. What is
1: this, a history of food podcast? Kind of, but not a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So anyway, people weren't like tomatoes weren't a thing. If you can I you know what, I have to laugh because I was thinking, holy cow, like every single day I eat I swear I eat sauce every single day in some way or another and I just can't even hardly imagine not having uh tomato sauce. But they weren't a thing at that time. How this recipe started, basically the origins of this recipe is it began with people chopping up meat and cooking it slowly over a long period of time, and putting some different vegetables in there, and just letting it cook for a long time, using what they had at hand, and allowing the juice that came off the meat, and the fat, and the wine, and you know, whatever they put in, allowing that to make like a sauce with the meat. I'm not sure what the pasta was at this time, but this was the origins of the Bolognese sauce going forward the sauce continued to develop and like it's called bolognese sauce because it comes from the bologna area of italy and every area of italy honestly has its own sauces and its own types of sauce and there's there's really no i mean there is a codified bolognese sauce now but bolognese sauce is one of those things where there's a kind of a there's a base recipe and there are some rules but you can kind of do with it what you want to so in the late 1800s, in the 1890s, a person whose name was Pellegrino, which is our family name.
1: Let's be honest. Is that why we're doing this recipe for no, the hoes? No, 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 no. I didn't find that out until <laughs>
0: last week. He created a cookbook. And remember, we talked about this with the tartatan recipe. We talked about it with Fanny Farmer, where recipes weren't really codified. You know, people just basically wrote down what was in it, not how much of what was in it or what you do it was just kind of like here's the ingredients make it kind of a thing so this person wrote down what the ingredients were for this bolognese sauce and he was trying to create a record you know so because i'm sure even at that time people were like well that's not how you do it and that's not how you, cuz you know that's that's a classic phrase in humanity <laughs> that's not how you do it that's not what my mom does so um it began to be codified so Going through the 1900s, the sauce evolves and evolves and evolves until we get to a point, well, it was actually on October 17th of 1982, the Bolognese chapter of the, it's the Academy of Cooking, basically. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce all these things in Italian because I can't even speak English. So when I get into Italian, it's really going to be butchery. (laughs) I will say what I can and I will do my best. So they codified what is bolognese sauce because apparently it, it has gotten so, it had gotten so anything. like People could just cook hamburger and put some tomato sauce on it and call it bolognese. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that people understood that that is not it. And apparently there was also some sort of heresy
1: about the recipe being called spaghetti bolognese. I'm sure everybody's heard of spaghetti bolognese, and a lot of people are not aware that's not
0: right. Apparently, if you say that in bologna, you're not going to be eating anything. (laughs) (laughs) So...
1: (laughs) So it is You're not... just having a knuckle sandwich for
0: dinner that day. I found out a humorous <laughs> thing here with this one um with <laughs> this one cooking site that I found in uh bolognese is very popular in the British Isles and they they call it, you know, because they they tend to give things nicknames a lot, so they call it spag bowl. Ah which totally kills it. That doesn't even sound appetizing. Well, I don't think, you know, like how we would say mac and meat. That's kind of cute. And it's not not appetizing. Spag bowl, I don't know. That just kills it for me. We did a recipe a while back called Johnny Marzetti, which was basically a meat sauce with elbow macaroni. And it was uh, made to be a very inexpensive meal for college students, but that's also a meat sauce. So in Italian cooking... A lot of areas of Italy had these meat sauces where you would brown beef or pork or lamb or all of them, you know, brown that up, mince it up, brown it with some vegetables, put some tomato sauce in it and use it as a sauce for your pasta. Okay. And that's not uncommon. However, where my grandparents were from, my grandparents came from an area that was outside of Rome in the countryside. And um, my grandmother never, ever made a sauce with loose meat floating around in it like that. Like there was no browned ground meat. It was always either meatballs or beef roast or some sort of sea creature (laughs) (laughs) or rabbit or something like that. She did not do a sauce like this. So I was not familiar with this until my mom started making the uh what we called macaroni and meat my mom started making this based on the Johnny Marzetti recipe that was like i had said in that episode if you look it up we talked about how popular that was because it was very inexpensive to make and fairly simple and you could make a lot of it so that recipe was hugely popular in ohio and western pennsylvania and in the rust belt you know that's definitely a rust belt recipe so those of us who had that, you know, like you might think of pasta with meat sauce. Maybe your mom made pasta with meat sauce, but we're talking about bolognese today, which is going to be different. Y- you know, and like I said, in different different areas of Italy, things are made differently. And I think a lot of times as Americans, like you think like Italian is what you get at uh, the Olive Garden or something, you know. So you go to Italy and you want spaghetti with bolognese sauce and they're so offended because, you know, you just ask for a thing that, no one wants to exist. You just ask for heresy. <laughs> so, so today what we're going to talk about is bolognese sauce and what it is and how to make it and give a recipe. And again, this is one of those things, um, like I often say, if you want to make this, make it to the recipe the first time you make it. And then if you think I'd like to add this or that or the other thing, that's fine. But this recipe is a very specific recipe that wants to accomplish a very specific goal. And that is to take these ingredients and cook them until they, you, it, you basically are cooking this until you have drawn every ounce of flavor out of every single ingredient in this recipe. And then you create this delicious, very densely meaty, sauce that you think like oh this isn't enough to cover a pound of spaghetti and and it is and it's what what and it, i'm telling you it's not enough to cover a pound of what i'm, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> this isn't enough to cover a pound of tagliatelle or pappardelle, not spaghetti I don't know why I said spaghetti. I think I had a, I think... It's because you hadn't said the other pasta names yet. My brain disconnected somewhere, I swear. So no, you're not having... But but seriously, when you make this, you're going to go, geez, this isn't enough for a pound of pappardelle." So then you find out, oh, wow, it is. And it's the perfect amount. So I very much encourage you to follow the recipe and try it out once in your lifetime. And then, you know, once you do it, it's so good and so different from anything that you may have had, unless you make this, um, it's probably different from any sort of a meat sauce that you may have ever had. And I think you'll really, you'll really appreciate doing this, doing the work. It's not that much work, but it's a lot of time. So I highly recommend, like if there's bad weather, uh, a snowstorm perhaps, Too cold to go outside, too hot to go outside, any of those things where you know you're not leaving the house, or like if you have so much laundry to do that you can't you can't possibly leave, perfect day to make bolognese meat sauce. So a couple things here. There is a classic recipe that is very well known in the United States, and this is Marcella Hazen's recipe, which it's in the New York Times. It's basically been in every cooking magazine you can imagine. And it's in one of her early cookbooks. And she even adjusted it through the years. And it's a good recipe. It's not a bad recipe. People refer to it all the time. A lot of people take her recipe and change it a little bit. One of the things people try to do is make things lighter. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Because it, sometimes it ruins things. So the only thing that I have with Marcella Hazen's recipe is that she includes nutmeg, a little bit of nutmeg. And one of the key rules, I would say, of bolognese is it's not supposed to have any aromatics in it. No garlic, no basil, no oregano, no bay leaves, no nutmeg, no cinnamon, none of those things. It's not supposed to have that because it's drawing its flavor, like I said, from cooking the sofrito down to the meat to... Um, the milk, the wine. I know this is going to sound crazy when I say this recipe. You're cooking all these things down and you're drawing all the flavor out of them that you possibly can. So I encourage you, if you want to look at her recipe or try her recipe or look into some recipes, keep in mind that that is one of the foundational rules of bolognese is that it doesn't have any aromatics in it. So resist the urge because I know we all love garlic. Resist the urge. Don't put garlic in it. Don't, don't do that because you want to taste what you have. Okay. So that's what we're doing. So here we go with our bolognese sauce. You're going to need a heavy bottomed pan, like a heavy bottomed Dutch oven, at least, well, about a four quart. Now this recipe here that I'm giving you makes one batch of bolognese, which is enough for one pound of pasta. I encourage you, even though I'm giving you this recipe, I encourage you to double this, even triple it, because it takes so much time that you will appreciate it. I doubled it. I usually make way more of anything that I need, but this is the classic example of double this recipe because I now have a container in my freezer and this freezes fantastically. But I have a container in my freezer that I'll be able to thaw out and Heat up and make my pasta, and I'll be done. So, I definitely encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't want to, you don't have to, though. You do what you want. You do you. So, you needed the heavy bottom Dutch oven, about a four quart Dutch oven for this size, four to six quart. And it seems enormous, but basically, you do add liquid to this and then you cook it off. You add liquid, you cook it off. So, you know, you do need something like that. And you're going to need two tablespoons of olive oil a half stick of butter, and that'll be divided, three-fourths cup of finely chopped onion, three-fourths cup of finely chopped celery, and three-fourths cup of finely chopped carrot. You'll need a half pound of ground chuck, something that is like 80-20, so you want some fat in there, fourth pound of ground pork, unseasoned ground pork, a half teaspoon of kosher salt, a fourth teaspoon of black pepper, one cup of whole milk, one cup of dry red or white table wine. Use what you have. I'm going to say that. Use what you have. But you want to have a nice dry wine. Table wines work really well for that. Something like uh, Paisano or uh, the Nero Divallo or something like that in a red. In a white, you could use a Pinot Grigio works okay. I think that's what I had was Pinot Grigio.
1: Does it make a difference in the flavor whether you use a red or a white? I don't think it does. What I Here's what
0: I think the difference is, okay? If you use a red wine in this, the color of the sauce is so much richer. It's this it gets this fantastically rich color. The white wine, there's no color. You know, it's the color of the meat or whatever. So, I think the red wine to my way of thinking, it just enhances the color of the finished product but use whatever you want you use the type that you like or that you have don't go buy something special just to make this you know but buy something that tastes good because you can drink it while you're making it so you want to remember that always treat the chef and then you're going to need 16 ounces of good quality tomato puree i used my own home canned stuff but use what you have use what you like uh, Red Pack makes a very nice product. Some of the Italian brand names, there's some good ones out there. So just get a good, you know, use a good quality one. Okay. And then you will need one pound of either pappardelle or Tagliatelle. I believe usually they recommend Tagliatelle with this recipe, but it's hard to find. Unless you make it, which I did not, I have not gone into the pasta making expedition yet. I made it years and years ago, and I thought this takes way longer than I feel like well, I want to and
1: there's multiple Italian grocery stores yes. in like a close range of here, so it's like, you yes, know, and I'll just go over
0: here <laughs> and please, please use Italian pasta. I don't care if it's a you know this is this is the me, I don't care if it's two bucks more. For the Italian, buy it because that two dollars is the difference between meh and oh my gosh, you know. So get the good stuff. We're fortunate; we have Dalalo brand here all over the place. Um, we have Giarusa, and we have a couple of stores in Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Ohio import these pastas from Italy, which was where I got my pappardelle. It was phenomenal. It's this giant bag of pasta, giant. Yeah, just get a good get a good Italian pasta. You'll never regret it. So here we go into our processes here. What you need to do, you want to prep your onion, celery, and carrot. And in Italian, this is called a sofrito or a battuto. And that is the very finely chopped vegetables. Uh, one word means that they're chopped fresh and one word means that they've been sautéed and I can't remember which one but that's a sofrito you've probably heard of which that's used a lot in Latin cooking and it's basically just a base of well in Latin cooking it's a base of vegetables and herbs and spices and stuff but in Italian cooking it is this it is the chopped onion celery carrot sometimes there's other vegetables in there too. So you're going to chop those fine and have those prepared to go into your pan. You're going to have your meat ready to go in. You can pre-measure your salt and pepper. Don't worry about your milk and red wine because this is a long process, but just have everything kind of ready to go there.
1: Should the milk and wine be room temperature when you
0: add them? It it I think so, yes. Because here's the thing, when you're cooking this and it's already taking you all day, you don't want to cool it off. So if you get your milk, measure your milk out into a coffee cup, even dump it in a coffee cup and let it sit there or a nice pourable measuring cup, put plastic wrap over it and let it sit while you're doing, you know, that, because that way, I mean, it's not going to go bad in an hour, but I would bring it up to room temperature just because it helps out with your cooking time. You don't need to heat it. So what you're going to do is heat your olive oil and three tablespoons of butter in your pan. Put that fourth tablespoon of butter aside. You're going to use that later on your pasta. When the butter has melted, add the onion, celery, and carrots. And you want to stir those around, get them all coated with your fats there, and you want to saute them until they're soft. And this takes maybe about 10 minutes. You don't want to brown them. You just want to cook them so they soften. And you would do this, this I would say, just below medium. And if your pan seems to be too hot, turn it down. So you just want to saute them until they're softened. And just have them prepped and ready so that their juices begin to come out with the oil and and they have that nice shiny look to them like your onion starts to get clear and you, you can smell the celery, you know. Okay, once you accomplish this, you're going to take your hamburger and pork, and this is what I do when I'm doing something like this. Take your hamburger and pork here, and you want to break them up into small pieces and drop those small pieces into the pan, because it's so much easier to do that than it is to drop a big clump of meat in and break it up with a spoon. It's just, it's so much easier. So just break them up into small pieces and drop them into the pan and start stirring them around with the celery, carrots, and onion, and begin to brown that meat up. Once you get that stirred in, sprinkle the meat with the salt and the pepper because you want that salt to draw moisture out of your meat. Stir those around. Keep breaking them up, because you want them to be in pretty small, broken up, fine pieces. And you want to stir and cook and break up until all of your meat is nicely browned. Your pan might start to dry out a little bit. You're either going to have one of two things. Your your fat is going to come up off your meat and start to fry the meat and the vegetables and it might begin to dry out. So you want to keep that moving so that nothing really burns or darkens or anything, but you want everything to be nicely browned. And that's probably going to be like another 15 to 20 minutes doing that, working your meat around. Once your meat is nicely browned, you're going to pour that cup of milk into the pot, stir it around, and bring that to a low boil. And just let that come to a boil, mix it and stir it really well. Make sure it's all mixed up and then turn that down to a simmer and let it cook until the milk is evaporated. This is a very weird looking thing. So don't panic because when you pour this in here, it's going to be like yellow looking from all the fat mixing with the milk, but then you'll get the milk fat kind of begins to separate out. So you'll see these little areas where you have white on top of your meat and that's your milk separating and evaporating so keep stirring that you don't have to stand there and stir it constantly but you need to stir it often because you don't want it to burn you don't want to scorch your milk I had to actually turn my burner off for a little bit and turn it back on because it was I could not get it to settle down so if you have to do that or slide your pan off the burner or something that's fine but you want to just cook that nice and slow until it evaporates. And this is going to take about an hour. The mixture will begin to thicken, and pretty soon you are not going to see any of that white stuff from the milk. It'll look like you sprinkled cheese on it almost, you know. But you keep stirring that, and it keeps cooking, and it's going to just evaporate everything out, and basically the milk solids are going to be left there with the meat, and you're going to blend that in all together. Now, once you get to that point where your milk isn't visible and it's nicely thickened and evaporated, you're going to add your wine and mix well again. So again, bring that up to a boil and then turn it down and let it simmer. When you put the wine in, if you're using red wine, it turns a very strange purpley brown sort of a color when you pour it in. You know, it's this is what's going to happen here. There are times where this is just not going to look good, but trust me, it all works out. Okay. You're going to put your wine in. You're going to bring it up to a boil and stir it. And then you're going to turn it down again and let it simmer to cook off. And again, it's going to be about one to one and a half hours for that wine to cook off. And you want to keep that just, just barely simmering so that the wine bubbles off and stir fairly often, walk over and stir it. You know, once the wine is cooked off, the mixture is going to be very thick it's going to have a very, it's going to look like gravy with little bits of meat in it, okay? It's going to be very thick. Once it's like that again, you're going to add your sauce. You'll even actually see like the fat is going to start to kind of separate where you're going to develop some grease on, your so- on the sauce that you have so far, I guess. So put in your tomato puree, stir that in really well, and just, again, bring it up to a low boil. Once you get it to a low boil, you're going to turn it down to simmer again. And here we go again. It's going to be a very, very nice low simmer for an hour to an hour and a half. And you want to cook and stir that fairly often. Your fat's going to begin to separate. This is how you can tell when the sauce is done, when you start to see that fat separating, okay? And you have to keep stirring it back in. You'll know you're getting there. Once you see that happening, And like I said, that's going to be another hour and a half. It might not be that noticeable to you, but just go by the time. If you're not noticing the fat separating, go by the time. And it'll be very nice and thick because even the tomato puree, any water in that is going to cook out. So you're going to start to notice that it's very nice and thick. You don't want it to burn. If it seems like it's too thick, you can add a little bit of water to it and stir it and let that water cook off too, but you don't want it to burn. You want it to just get nice and thick and cook very slowly so that you have this very dense, thick meat sauce, okay? Now, once you get to the point where it looks like it's about done, put your large pot of water on to boil to cook your noodles. Cook them to the package instructions, if there are any, I have to laugh because I did buy some lovely Italian pasta about two weeks ago that had no cooking instructions on it other than six quarts of salted water. When it comes to a boil, put the pasta in. And I'm like, what am I psychic? I'm, you know. So I would say for this, it's going to be about 11 minutes to 13 minutes for uh, Pappardelli. Tagliatelle might take less time than that. So you'd have to watch that one. What these are, these pastas, if you're not familiar with them, they're a really, really wide noodle. Very wide, like a half inch wide noodle. So my husband is like, What is that? And I said, This is the big stuff, okay? This is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the ribbon pasta. Yeah,
0: it's a ribbon pasta. And the thing is, you need, with this sauce, it's so rich and flavorful that you need a big pasta to be able to carry that flavor through. Spaghetti with this, which I can see why spaghetti would be a problem. Spaghetti would be lost in the sauce. It's lost
1: in the sauce.
0: You're not going to get a coating. It's just going to be lost in there. Now, another thing, a lot of people use the bigger rigatoni with this, like the 21-25 size, the big, longer rigatoni that looks like a sewer pipe, which we've talked about before. So you could also use that, but I highly recommend the pappardelli. I really liked it with it. Okay, so you cook your pasta, drain your pasta, don't rinse your pasta, drain it, put it back into the pot again that you cooked it in and drop that tablespoon of butter in and toss that all around on your pasta so it's very well coated and then take your bolognese sauce from your pan that you're cooking that in and spoon that over your pasta, I'm going to say pasta because I don't know what you're going to want to use. Spoon that over your pasta and just mix that as you're spooning it over. Once you get it all mixed around, pour that into a very nice serving dish, like if you have a big pasta bowl or something like that, to serve. And you can serve this with freshly grated Parmesan regatta on the side, not Parmesan cheese, it comes in a bottle. You want fresh, freshly grated Parmesan regatta.
1: Regatti? Do you mean Reggiano? Ah, Reggiano. <laughs> oh my gosh. Regatti means ridges. Yeah, it's Reggiano. <laughs> Let me Reggiano. Say. Anna, you say it and you use your words. Okay. So you're gonna serve this with some grated Parmigiano Reggiano.
0: Yes, like she said. Not like I said. <laughs> do not oh do not serve it with Parmesan Regatte. I can butcher Italian like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> so You can serve that on the side and serve with some good, crusty Italian bread, and you are going to love this. You're going to love it. It is, to me, it is like a science project in sixth grade that comes out well. You're like, oh gosh, look at this. The bolognese coats the pasta with this lovely coating, and it sticks all to it, and it's the bolognese has such a strong flavor to it that you need a big noodle like this to disperse the flavor. And it, it's almost, it's really funny. If you taste the sauce, okay, and the sauce is going to be good, but then you eat it on the pasta, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a whole different flavor. And the butter, coating the pasta with butter helps the pasta, number one, to not stick to itself, but number two, it just sucks that sauce to it like a magnet. This is it. This is the 200th podcast recipe of the 200 year old sauce. And I really encourage you to make a plan to make this one day, just like this, make it just like this and just enjoy yourself making it and enjoy yourself eating it.
1: And make sure to check us out online on Facebook and threads at Merrimack Bakehouse on Instagram at Merrimack Bakehouse and Merrimack and on our website, merrymacpodcast.com. Thanks a lot for listening
0: 200 times if you did. And if you didn't, too bad for you.